Good morning and welcome to today's podcast. We are talking to Kay Burnham, who was a VP in the live entertainment industry until five life-altering events occurred within six short months that let her know that the stress she had been experiencing, which ultimately led to some panic attacks, were just not the way she wanted to continue living the rest of her life. Today, she is helping other women to navigate the same or similar courses in their own paths and avoid stress and burnout in doing so. Welcome, Kay. Good morning, Kay, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. And you have quite a story to share. So I'd love it if you could kind of dive right in and share a bit of a backstory, maybe what led you to doing the work you're doing today, just as an overview, and then we'll get into some specifics. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I spent 30 years working in the administrative side of the live entertainment industry. I started out uh, part-time answering phones and worked my way up to being a vice president, overseeing multiple areas, totaling 450 staff and volunteers. And along the way, I had lots of success and I had lots of stress. And unfortunately, when life handed me a series of extreme events in a very short amount of time, uh, I realized that what I had been doing to um, manage my stress was not building skills to be resilient and to handle life's challenges. And I started having panic attacks, which sent me on a journey of uh, self-discovery, uh, self-awareness, and self-love. And I discovered very simple things that if I had known them in advance and worked on them, I probably could have avoided the fate that I was in. And that really put me on the path to doing the work I do now. Yeah, I'd actually, um, that's part of what drew me to your story was the fact that you did experience panic attacks. And I've, I've experienced the same. And I really think that our bodies have a way of telling us when we need to make a change, when we're ignoring it. From all of the women that I've interviewed, and I've interviewed, I just started this last year, but I've interviewed about 70 some women and so many of them have shared really odd medical phenomena that have occurred as a result of stress that couldn't be explained and just disappeared when they when they finally made a change myself included so you did mention you were a vp in the live entertainment industry and i find that fascinating so i'd love it if you could maybe share a little about that i know our, our listeners would like to know about it and maybe like tell us what your day today was like sure absolutely um, so as I said, it was the administrative side. Specifically, I worked in guest services and ticketing. So if, if you've been following any of the Taylor Swift ticket debacle that's been going on, that was the world I lived in. So that gives oh, you an man. idea of the kind of stress I was dealing with. Um, as I got higher in the levels, my day-to-day -day was a lot of meetings, heavy meetings, planning, strategizing, but it was also... Um, putting out fires. I worked for a venue, uh, uh, an organization that had five venues. We did over 450 on average events every year. We had three resident companies and I was on call 24 seven. If something went down that might, you know, cause anything in the public to happen, I had to know about it because my staff were the front line and the next day would have to be dealing with it. So and my day to day was kind of crazy. Yeah. And when you never have a break, um, the 24 seven is a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that there were five, I believe, life-altering events that happened in a really short span of about six months. So I'm anxious to hear about what that what those things were, if you're comfortable sharing, and how it impacted your life going forward. Sure, absolutely. So um, the first one was my father, who was in his early 80s, was diagnosed with stage four skin cancer wrapped around his esophagus. Oh my gosh. Yes, very odd, very unusual. Um, the doctors were optimistic that they could shrink it and remove it, but it was very scary. And he started treatment. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, my late husband at the age of 43 was diagnosed with an aggressive form of stage four prostate cancer that was already pervasively through his skeleton. And he started mm-hmm. treatment. Then my company uh, went through a major reorganization, pulled me out of a reporting structure that I'd been in for a decade made me a vice president, which was fantastic, gave me lots of new experiences and company-wide responsibilities, very positive, but still incredibly stressful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then my father suddenly, unexpectedly passed away um, very traumatically from a side effect to his treatment. Mm -hmm. And finally, a friend in their mid-30s collapsed and never recovered. Oh my goodness. Yes. So that was a, I mean, that was a lot. Anyone, anyone would go through a serious uh, life evaluation with something like that going on, but I had none of the skills to even understand how to help myself through it. And that's what started these panic attacks. I didn't even know they were panic attacks. Most (laughs) people don't. I remember when I, when I first started, I was in college when I had started having some, but then they really became more pervasive. And I, people go to the ER thinking they're having heart attacks and and all kinds of things. Can you talk about how your panic attacks kind of manifested in you? Uh, Yeah, it was anytime I would come up against a really stressful situation, I wanted to flee. I had an almost uncontrollable urge to run out of the room, whatever I was doing. And in fact, the, the incident that really caused me to make my change was that I was headed to an offsite work event. I had no responsibility for, and I wasn't even late for it. I wasn't driving the car, but as the person who was driving was starting to park, so they were still driving, I jumped out of a moving car and started running. And I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't, I can't keep Mm -hmm. living like this. I have to make a change. Yep. I can, I can understand that need to flee. I had a, that's kind of how mine uh, surfaced later in life. Yeah. And you feel like a crazy person, right? Uh Yeah. Yeah. So how did you learn to handle the the panic attacks? Because obviously nobody can live like that. Well, I will say at first um, I did, I sought therapy Mm -hmm. and I was in a complete meltdown and crisis. And so I did start taking uh, medication and that got me to a space where I could actually learn the skills and deal with the panic attacks. Um, And through that, it sent me back to my roots. So it sent me, my therapist asked me in an early session, have you ever tried meditation? And I thought, well, geez, I started learning to meditate at five years old and I haven't really been doing that for many years. Maybe I should try it again. So I did and immediately started seeing a benefit. So I went on a deep dive and I started learning from the current experts in mindfulness and meditation. And that led me to studying the neuroscience of brain change and Mm. how, how we think about what we think creates our reality. And 
uh, it was a fascinating journey that took a lot of outside help along with a lot of dedication and accountability on my part to get there. Yeah. But with the help of, with the, with the assistance and support of my team, I was able to come off all of my medication for depression and anxiety and through my practice and the processes that I've instituted in my life, I've been panic attack free for years now and completely medication free as well. That's amazing. Yeah, I think meditation is really powerful. I think it's also, uh, it can feel hard to do, even though it seems like something that's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be relaxing, but for, for people who have a certain personality, I think it can be um, pretty difficult. I've been trying for years to, to get myself into a regular meditation practice. So this is a good reminder for me as well. So you ended up changing careers. Can you talk about what the transition was like? Um, there will be a lot of listeners who can relate to this. Uh, I've heard a lot of different conflicting feelings like um, more stress, guilt, shame, regret, but also positive stories of a smooth transition. Can you share what your story was like? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, with my husband's diagnosis and the realization that my life was not going to be what I thought it was, mm -hmm. I really started reevaluating what my career path was. I was fully on a trajectory headed toward a general managership, a executive director, president, CEO of an arts organization. It's what I thought I really wanted. And as I started to reevaluate, I looked at it and went, well, why? Why do I want that? Right? Like, oh, I've been on this path, this kind of treadmill of a career trying to get somewhere. And I don't even know why I want it. And I looked at it and I looked around at the examples of the people in that. And I said, God, that's not the life I want. Yeah. I don't want that level of stress. I don't want that kind of, okay, so what is it that I really love about my job? And I realized that it was supporting all of the people that worked for me and with me and achieving their goals and dreams and realizing they had everything inside them right then they had all their answers and I just loved getting them there and so I, so I thought how can I do that all the time oh I can I can become a coach and so I went back to school and I got a master's a second master's degree I have an MBA and I got a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology so that I could really truly understand what it would take to be a great leader to be in the workplace in a healthy way where things were going and how to help people, primarily women, but I've also helped men, really get out of their own way and uh, flourish the way that I was learning to. And that transition was hard because I'd been with my organization for 28 years. I was yeah. a pivotal part of the senior leadership team. And it I felt I had to go through feelings like I was abandoning mm -hmm. my team. I was abandoning this company I loved so much. And I really had to process that. Um, but once I made that that decision and that choice and worked through it, it was a very joyful experience for me. And moving into this new career certainly had its challenges. Um, it was different than I had expected. It was more challenging than I thought to do this full time. But I love it. And so it, those feelings were uncomfortable and hard, but it, the process of moving through them gave me the space to find the joy. Yeah. So what are you doing today to help women feel more empowered in their life and their career? Can you talk about the work that you're doing? 
Sure, absolutely. So what I do is through my process, the years of therapy and coaching and my own work, as I discovered that there are really three things anyone needs to turn life's challenges from mountains to climb into Mm -hmm. speed bumps you can just easily roll over. And that is radical self-confidence, decision-making trust, and a whole person self-care routine. Hmm. So I work with my clients to create the foundational elements of all of these things. We don't work on overlaying new ways of thinking on top of of a cracked foundation, right? We come in, I come in and I help them fix the foundation of what they're doing. Because once you've done that, that's where that radical self-confidence comes from. You know, you have whatever you need or how to find it when any challenge comes up. I love that. And what about the whole person self-care? I'm kind of in the self-care business. So I'd love to know what that means to you. So when I talk with people about their self-care routine, they're like, oh yeah, I get sleep. I eat well. I try to exercise as much as I can. I'm taking care of my body. I know that's what helps me manage my stress. I, I get social and I do hobbies. And that's a lot of what we're told to do. But in many cases, that self-care is actually aftercare. Because we're not implementing it until we find ourselves feeling stressed or in a challenging situation. Okay, I need to go to my self-care to get me through this. That's aftercare. Mm -hmm. It's also primarily about your physical body. So I take a mind-body-spirit approach to developing uh, self-care routines for my clients. And I say spirit instead of soul because soul can be triggering for people, uh, especially who have had religious trauma. Um, spirit can mean anything to anyone. And so we find out what that means, but by attending to all three parts of your body and integrating that this, this whole person, you know, at any moment you're doing things that give you the best chance of making the best decisions for yourself. Yeah. So I think, um, I'm guessing a lot of your clients that come to you are dealing with things like burnout. Um, can you talk about like who, maybe um, just kind of paint a picture of who your clients are. Yes, my clients are generally high achieving. Um, They're career driven and focused. They're probably uh, trying to have it all. They're raising a family uh, and supporting others. They're someone who really wants to be there for others, support others, they enjoy it. A, A lot of my clients come from sort of service professions and they haven't learned how to put themselves first and that putting themselves first actually is what gives them the capacity to be there for others. Yeah. It's like the age old wisdom of, you know, putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. And we know that it's true, but we still never listen to it. Yep. I, I, I had a, a mentor say once that, you know, they say, you know, fill your cups, you have something to, to, to feed others with, fill your cup until it's overflowing and feed people from the saucer. Mm, I like that better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you had to choose the best part of your work today, what would you say that is? Um, You know, a few weeks ago, I might've said something different, but recently I think the best part of my work is seeing clients after we have kind of completed our journey together and I, 
I was, I, I ran into one of my clients recently at a lunch gathering and he was telling me about it, that it was challenging. He was going through a really challenging time. And I looked at him and I said, well, are you le leaning into your strengths? And he got the biggest smile on his face. And he said, oh my God, yes. And it's making all the difference in the world. Thank you. I wish I'd known that years earlier. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Well, you can actually see it in action. Mm -hmm. So the next couple of questions are questions that I ask everyone I interview. So this question, um, I just personally enjoy hearing the, the answers or the responses throughout your journey so far. And that can just be your life's journey, your career changes, whatever that means to you. What would you say has been your greatest challenge? And then on the flip side of that, your greatest joy. Oh, wow. Oh, my, I would say my greatest challenge and you know, in hindsight, I can see that this has been a challenge for me for a long time is um, breaking free of toxic productivity. Mm. This idea that, okay, so if you've ever heard the the phrase, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. Oh, no. <laughs> I, somewhere, somewhere in my life, I don't know who said this to me, but this got ingrained into me. And I when I realized, oh, I hate this phrase because it means if I have time to rest, mm -hmm. I have time should to be, be cleaning something, yeah, something. or doing something. something instead of resting. Like rest is somehow a reward for being productive instead of a requirement to be productive. So my biggest challenge, and I found that incredibly challenging trans transitioning into this career was to break free from that. So I work yeah. on that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, my greatest joy has been giving myself permission to put myself first. I can see the times in my life looking back. I do a lot of self-reflection and looking back on my life and reframing things. And I can see that those moments where I actually put myself first were the times I had the best joy. And yeah. it wasn't because I was being selfish. It was because by putting myself first, I got to do things with the people I cared about and loved and created yeah experiences that created lasting joyful memories for me yeah it does it really does change your life I I feel like I've I've had that experience now probably for the past maybe two years and it's just been completely life-altering and it what I found is that those around me seem happier too my family my kids you know my husband yeah and then this question you can see I have books behind me I've, I've taught literature um for many years and I love to read. And so if I can, I'd like to refer our listeners to some books. So are there any, is there a book or are there any books that you love that kind of helped you along in your journey, whether dealing with burnout or um, healing from panic attacks or, you know, books on meditation, it could be whatever you want. Absolutely. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have a ton of books that I have had a great impact on me, but the one that I think had the biggest impact and is a concept that most people aren't familiar with because I know I, and I know I wasn't until I read the book is a book if you're anything like me you love to read but we don't always have time to sit and spend the time reading that we'd love to because our schedules are busy while I'm out walking or I'm at the gym or even taking long car rides I now use Audible to listen to a lot of the books that I love. I'm currently reading a book on boundaries, one of the subjects that has come up in these interviews, and I've read all different genres, but particularly my self-help books 
are my go-tos for Audible. So if you'd like to join Audible, you can listen while you walk as well. Go to the link I have in the show notes and you'll see how you can easily sign up for a free trial. Audible has been an amazing tool for me in my health and wellness journey. And I hope you can find that it's useful for you as well. Called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. And she is a psychologist and one of the leading experts in mindfulness. And it is all about just accepting everything. And what acceptance really means, that acceptance is not the same as approval of something. So by so acceptance is not the same as approval, right? Which a lot of people think, well, if I accept this behavior from someone or if I accept these circumstances, it means I'm approving of its existence. I'm approving of what they're yeah. doing or this place in my life. And that's not it. But until you actually accept what's going on, you can't make any change. You have to come to that right. place of radical acceptance. And that that changed everything for me. Hmm, great. So I've written that down and I'll certainly share that. We'll share that with our listeners as well. So for those who may want to connect with you online, my last question is where can we find you? <laughs> uh, well, I do have a website called perceivingpossibilities.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram under Perceiving Possibilities and on TikTok under at Grateful365. Very good. So we'll include that information and a link to your website in the show notes, of course, and in the YouTube notes. So I just want to thank you again, Kay, for, for coming in and talking to us and sharing your story, because I'm sure it's going to help many who, who have heard it and just feel like they're not alone in at least one aspect of something that you have shared. That's always my goal is to help people feel less alone in what they're going through. Great. Well, thank you. And I hope to connect with you again soon. I hope so too. Thank you.